Well, good morning. Thanks for coming this morning. Were you disappointed when you didn't wake up to three inches of snow? Nah, me neither. They always, I always love it when I look at the forecast. I say, oh yeah, it could be four to six inches. Yeah, I'll believe it when I see it, right? Anyway, I want to welcome you. I want to say thanks so much for coming here this morning. I am so glad that you're here. And for some of you, this may be the first time that you've ever stepped foot into this building. And I just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here. I want to just say to you that immediately following this service, if you would just go to the guest services, and they'll give you some information about our church. Because if you're asking the question, is this the church for me, I want you to hear the answer from God, yes. <laughs> but really, we want you to have all the information that you, that you need so that you can make a decision that's right for you. And I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Let's welcome them to, to our service here this morning. All right, so let's get started. We're in a series right now called Refresh. And we started last week. And remember, what we're doing is we're looking at the seven churches. Jesus wrote a letter to seven churches. And you remember that I told you that even though it was seven churches back in those days, which we now call Turkey, we actually could look at it as these are seven letters that Jesus writes to Central Community Church or Central Christian or New Spring or any church for that matter. But also, these are letters that God could write particularly to you and I. These are the issues that all churches and anybody who has a faith in Jesus Christ, these are the issues that we go through. And remember what we talked about last week? Last week, we started in the city of Ephesus. And remember what Jesus said to them? He says, church at Ephesus, I know all that you've been doing. I've seen all of your hard work. I've seen how you've toiled for my name. And he gives them this great attaboy. And then comes that line. Do you remember that line? But I hold this against you. And remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, what you're doing is out of habit and out of duty. You've forgotten what matters to me most. And what matters to him most is that we do it because we love him. And so we're calling this series uh, the refresh because if we don't refresh the relationships in our lives on a regular basis, they're going to grow stale. Jesus tells us, if you push the refresh button, what's going to happen is you're going to repent, and you're going to go back, and you're going to do the things that you did at first. All right, now, I want to begin this morning as we move to the second church. I want to kind of have a little bit of an analogy. I want, I want to give you something that, that you can kind of visually see, and I'm going to need you to kind of use your imagination and pretend with me. So you know in the Bible that, that, that verse, Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, right? That's a verse sometimes it's hard to understand. Some of you, a lot of you, many of you maybe are going through some type of suffering. Maybe it's not what you're suffering. Maybe you're watching somebody else that you love going through some difficult times. Maybe you've experienced something with a, a disease or a relationship or whatever, but you're experiencing some type of suffering. And Romans 8, 28 speaks to that. So here's a picture of this. I've, I've used this in my devotions, and I, this is a picture, a mental picture that I have in my mind. 
I want you just for a moment to picture that this platform, this being the beginning and the end of the platform being the end, this is a picture of my life. My goal is that I've got to get from here to there. Now, because of the way God created me, my goal is to get from here to there as fast as I can. And so as I begin my life, I'm trying to move and I'm trying to get to that end as fast as I can. And then I realize that I've got these soldiers, they're dressed in white. And I realize that there's a battle going on and these soldiers that are dressed in white are providing a way for me. But then I also recognize that there's a group of other soldiers that are are dressed in black. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to keep me from getting to the other side. So sometimes my life looks like this. And other times I have to retreat. Sometimes I duck. Woo! You know what I mean? But I keep progressing. And I keep moving down this path that's provided for me. And finally, I get to the end of my life. And it's like, I made it. But it's only when I get here, I get real understanding. And what I mean by that is that as I look back over my life, I recognize something. That both the soldiers, those who were dressed in white, and those who are dressed in black are both fulfilling their purpose. And then I see something that I just don't understand. All of the soldiers who are dressed in black take off their uniforms, and I recognize that they too are dressed in white. And that's when I realize it has never been about getting to the end of my life as fast as I can. It's always been about getting to the end of my life at the exact perfect moment. And so as I look back at my life and I see both sides of the army, I recognize that the soldiers who were dressed in black were actually blessings in disguise. And as both battled against each other, just doing what they were supposed to do, God used that to get me here in his perfect timing. Today, we are moving on to the next church, which is the church at Smyrna. These churches are all located in what is now known as Turkey, and Smyrna is actually still there today in the form of Izmir, okay? I want to share with you something about this, because with the analogy that I just gave you, plus a little bit of history about Smyrna, there's a theme that you've got to pick up on. Now, Smyrna also was a port city, and it was a very important port city for one reason, and that was its proximity to Athens. You see, Athens was considered the gateway to Europe, And so, where Smyrna was, it was the perfect location. Now, there's some history about Smyrna that the group of people, that the people that lived in Smyrna grabbed onto, and this is what it was. In 600 BC, a Lydian king by the name of Adelis came through, and he wiped out the entire city except for a very small part of it. 
There were like a, it was like a village now that literally had no hope of ever being restored to what it once was. When the Roman government took over the world, Alexander the Great had a dream, he had a vision, and you know what it was? To rebuild Smyrna to the glory of what it once was and even better. Because of that, and it happened, and it became better than what it was, because of that, that history in their, in, their, in their lives, the city of Smyrna adopted death and resurrection as their theme. Are you following me? So here's what they taught to their children. We are a city that once was dead, and now we have come back to life. Jesus, in his letter now to this church at Smyrna, he picks up on that theme. Are you not thankful that we have a God that's a personal God, and he knows what we're going through, and he uses what we're going through to write this letter? Stand with me out of respect for God's Word. As I read from Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. You see what I mean? I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful. We'll say that again. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray. Father, teach me today to surrender and yield to your plans because you know what is in the darkness and the light dwells within you. Thank you that nothing, absolutely nothing catches you off guard. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So the city of Smyrna had something very, very valuable. In fact, they had the patent on this very valuable item. You know what it was? It was myrrh. Now you know how they got their name, Smyrna. You can hear the word myrrh in that name, right? Now I want you to understand that the reason that myrrh has such great value was not just because it was a sweet-smelling fragrance, but it had great value because of the way it was used. 
Here's how they used it. Myrrh was the key ingredient in the embalming process. That process that preserved the body and prepared it for the afterlife. Do you remember when the Bible talks about just after Christmas, the Magi came and they visited the baby Jesus, right? They came to worship. And the Bible tells us that they brought three gifts. Remember what they were? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You remember, if you watched the majesty of Christmas right here, you would have known that myrrh was also there to symbolize what Jesus' life was all about. That he would come, he would live, and he would die, and that myrrh would be used to anoint his body. Okay? Now let me show you one other thing here. In John chapter 19, verse 39. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus was part of the Pharisees, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So in both of those cases, that myrrh was gotten from Smyrna because they had the patent on this unbelievable fragrance and this unbelievable tool. All right, now, do you see what I mean when I'm talking about the fact that the Lord Jesus is landing on this theme of death and resurrection, resurrection, and here's what he wants the church at Smyrna to know. Here's what he wants you and I to know. It's this, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Jesus is telling the church at Smyrna, there may be persecution, there may be suffering that you have to go through, but I am the resurrection. I was a dead, and now I am alive, and because of that, there is an afterlife that is being prepared for you even at this moment. And that afterlife cannot even begin to compare. It's so much greater than the life that you are living right now. And my dear friends in Christ, I hope you hear that loud and clear. Some of you are going through some difficult times. Some of you are experiencing suffering on a regular basis. For some of you, getting out of a bed is a chore in your life. And this message that Jesus has is to you. And it's this. There's another life coming. And that life is so greater than what you are living right now. Hold on to that truth. All right, now let's go to the letter and watch what Jesus does here. And to the angel at the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. Okay, in your mind right now, circle that word tribulation because I'm gonna come back and talk about that, okay? I know your tribulation and your poverty but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. All right, now all of this church in Smyrna, when they had this letter written to them and they heard that word tribulation, they would have known exactly what Jesus was referring to. You know what he was referring to? It was an ancient form of torture. 
And in this form of torture, this is what the Romans were known for, and this is what they would do. They would take a person and they would lay them flat. And they would bring these rocks, these heavy-weighted rocks, and they would lay them on the person's chest. And that person would experience this crushing sensation. And then they would bring another rock, and then they would bring another rock. And you know when they stopped bringing rocks? When you stopped breathing. But nobody ever outlasted three weights. Some of you had COVID. Some of you, it was nothing. For the rest of us, at times, there was a time where we felt like there was an elephant sitting on our chest. Have you ever felt that kind of pressure before? And Jesus is admitting, and he's saying to the people who are going through suffering and persecution, I understand this feeling that you're going through. All right, now here's what he does. He now describes for the church at Smyrna three weights that they are going to have to endure for his name. Here's what they are. Number one, poverty. Okay? Here's the second one. They are labeled as a lower class of people by other Jews. And then here's the third one. Suffering is coming. Now, I don't know about you, I'm not so sure I'd want to hear this letter. You know what I mean? But as we go through it a little bit farther, I think you'll appreciate it. But Jesus is telling them, and he may be telling you, he's telling us, he says, listen, there's some persecution, there's some suffering that's coming. In fact, there's three of them, and I'm going to tell you what they are. In fact, if you read in this, you remember that it describes the length of this suffering. The length of it is going to be for 10 days. Now, Some people believe that, okay, it was actually 10 days. I personally tend to think, because Revelation is a book of symbolism, that I think that the 10 days probably refer to a short period of suffering. But what Jesus makes sure that they understand is that there is suffering coming. All right, now there's something I want you to understand that's very important as we go forward. When it comes to myrrh, the only way that you can smell the sweet fragrance is when the sap is crushed. Do you hear what Jesus just said to you? Jesus just said, some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to endure some very difficult times, and it's going to feel like this weight is just crushing you. But what Jesus tells us is this, and here's the encouragement. As you are crushed through these trials and these sufferings, if you do them so that he gets the glory, a sweet fragrance is going to come from you that everybody in the world is going to be attracted to. I want you to think about this. Have you ever seen anybody go through intense suffering? And if you watch them as they go through that suffering and you hear them say things like this, okay, if this is what I have to go through, I want to make sure that God gets the glory. You know what I'm talking about? 
And then you watch them. And as they watch them, you think to yourself, how in the world are they going through this? How are they enduring this? And because of what they're doing and how they're doing it, you're attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ because your answer is only this. It's got to be God. And God gets the glory. So what is Jesus' word to the church, or for that matter, to this church or any church, or for us individually? What's his word to us about going through this suffering? And here it is. It's one word. Are you ready for it? Make sure you write this down. Here's what it is. Persevere. You know what? If I were sitting there and I were listening to somebody read this letter and they said, well, here's the word, persevere, I'd be thinking, are you kidding me? I was hoping to hear, I will remove you. I was hoping that he would say, I will take it away or I will lighten your load, but he doesn't say that. He says, persevere. In other words, you're going to go through it, but I'm going to give you the strength, so persevere. You see, the people in those days, they were enduring this suffering for Jesus because they were standing up for him. And the result of that was a lot of those people lost their jobs. A lot of those people were thrown out of all of the society clubs. And the worst thing was is that financially they were bankrupt. And so now Jesus enters in. Remember from what we just read, he enters into the picture now and he says, I see your poverty. Right? And then what does he say? But you are not poverty stricken. He says, You are rich. What? You are, you're telling me that I'm rich? I've lost my job. In society, I've been throwing out my entire family. I look at my checkbook and there's nothing. And you tell me that I'm rich? You know why God says that? And here's the biggest comfort that I personally get out of this. Here's what Jesus says. I am the God who sees. Isn't that amazing? He's watching right now. He's watching you go through your hard times. He understands what it is that you're experiencing. And this is what he says. You're not poor, you're rich. And here's why. Because as I watch you go through this suffering, as I watch you go through all of these difficult times, I'm laying up treasures in heaven on your behalf. You see, what Jesus is telling us is that it's all about perspective. Suffering is about perspective. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I've seen you, what you're doing on earth, but dude, there's a whole lot more than just earth. This is a blip on the screen. You're here and you're gone, but in heaven is eternity. And what I have planned for you, I've stored up treasures for you. That's why I can say to you, you are rich. Do you remember earlier when Jesus was walking on this earth? Do you remember what he said? He said this. He said, please be careful that you don't make the mistake of thinking that your life consists in the abundance of your possessions. And what's he saying? He's saying this. 
If you have nothing in life and all you have is Jesus Christ, you know what Jesus tells you? You're rich. You're in the highest tax category possible. But then he also says, if you have all the money in the world and you're driving the nicest cars and you have the biggest home and you have all these things, but you don't have Jesus, guess what? You are very, very poor. All right, so the people, the Jews in Smyrna, were trying to separate themselves from the Christians, okay? You know why? Tax purposes. You see, the Jews had worked out a deal with the Roman government that the God of Israel was the one and only God. And these Christians who called themselves followers of Jesus, they were threatening that agreement. So you know what the Jews did? They slandered them. Remember what the Bible told us? They made fun of them. And here's what they said about the Christians. Number one, this is what they said. When they have their worship, they have orgies. And then here's the second thing. The second thing they said was, but not only that, when they gather together, they're cannibals. Ask them. They will tell you, we eat the body of Christ and we drink his blood. They will admit to you that they're cannibals. On top of that, here's what they told them. They said, you know what? They don't love family. They're against family. They call everybody brother and sister. And the last thing that they slandered them for was this. They said, you know what? They're a very inclusive group. Nobody, nobody can work with them. Nobody can get along with them. And nobody can get involved in their groups. And so the Jews labeled the Christians as lowlife. Remember what Jesus said next? He said, there's more suffering coming. <laughs> I mean, I want to say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm about the end of my rope. But he says, no, there, there's more suffering coming. Let me give you an example of what he was talking about. The bishop of the church in Smyrna's name was Polycarp. Now, this story is not written in the Bible, but it's, it's written by historians, and here's what they tell us about this story. Polycarp was the bishop of this church. Polycarp was a disciple of John who wrote the letter who's on the island, the Greek island of Patmos, okay? Polycarp had a dream one night is that he was going to be martyred for his faith, and the way that he was going to be martyred was he was going to be burned at the stake. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything more painful so the story goes that one day, as he was working at home, a group of soldiers, Roman soldiers, showed up at his door. And he went to the door and he invited them in. You know what he did? He cooked a meal for them. <laughs> he asked me, he says, can I cook a meal for you? And he made this lavish feast for them. And at the end, when everybody had eaten their full and they had had everything that they needed to drink. Even the soldiers were wondering, why in the world are we, are, we, are we arresting this man? And then he said to me, he says, I have one favor to ask of you, and here's what it is. If you look through the window, you'll see my garden over there. Can you just give me just one hour? One hour of time where I can go and pray to my God. And they said, you got it, go. So he went and prayed, and when that hour was done, they arrested him and they took him back and they brought him into an arena. And the Roman leaders who were standing there said to him, 
Polycarp, you can make all of this go away if you would just deny the name of Jesus. So they had a stake, and they had all of the brush around it. And when they went to tie him to the stake, he said to them, he goes, you guys don't have to tie me to this stake. I'm not going anywhere. And then he said this to the Roman leader, these famous words, I have served my master for 80 and six years. I can one will not deny him now. History tells us that they lit all of the branches and the debris underneath the stake that he was addressed at. And history tells us that a wind came up and blew the flames so that they didn't burn him. And so they thrust a sword through his heart. So what do you think Jesus is trying to tell us there? And here's what I think it is. The storm doesn't last forever. It will come to an end. It may be in this life, and it may be in the life to come. But Jesus tells us the storm will end, and the sun will come out one day, either here or on the other side of heaven. All right, so Pastor Bob, (laughs) did Jesus give this church anything to hold on to? Yes, he did, and here's what it is, okay? It's recorded in Revelation 2, verses 10. It says this, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, here's what I want you to understand about this, okay? As soon as Jesus said crown, all of the people's heads would have perked up. You see, the crown was the symbol of Smyrna. When they had their athletic games and when they would have different events, the winners would receive a crown, and the crown represented overcoming and victory. And so these people in Smyrna, these Jewish people, they would run around town and they would have these crowns on. But you know what? None of the Christians had a crown. This demonstrated the fact that they had been excluded, and the fact that they had been excluded was seen in the fact that they had no crowns. And so this is what Jesus says to them. He says, persevere until the very end, and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, for the people in Smyrna, what they were saying, this is not game over. Oh, baby, this is game on. You see, they understood that, you know what? I can persevere through this trial because I have family. I have my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can persevere through this because Jesus will give what I need. And if I persevere, if I'm faithful for this little blip on the screen of my life, I have a crown of life for eternity. And one day I will look back and say, that was nothing that I had to go through compared to what Jesus has for me. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I've focused on all the things of my life and I lost all of my confidence. There were times when I wondered, man, I must be a horrible dad. There were times when I knew that I must be a horrible husband. There were times when I would look at my checkbook and I'd think, how in the world will I ever someday be able to retire? I'm just a teacher or a pastor. 
I would look at relationships that were falling apart and how is that ever gonna be healed? And then it was like Jesus said, your confidence, young man, is in the wrong place. And that's what he was telling the church at Smyrna, and that's what he's telling the church at Central Community, and that's what he's talking to you about in an individual. He tells us this, put your confidence in the things that you know matter and are true, like God's word, and the fact that God forgives, and the fact that Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross and he was resurrected, and because he was resurrected, not only you and I, but we all have a life that we have to look forward to. We can believe the fact that God's word is true. We can believe the fact that someday Jesus is gonna come back, and he's gonna come back for me, and he's gonna extend his hand to me, and I'll know it's his hand because I'll see the nail prints. And I'll hold on to that hand and he'll be saying to me, Bob, oh, I can't wait till you see what I have stored up for you. You see, I saw all those times when you were hurting and when you were suffering and you were thinking that nobody else was paying attention, but I was because, Bob, you forgot, I'm the God who sees. And because I'm the God who sees, enter into your eternal reward, which has been prepared for you, Bob, since the beginning of time. Well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Isn't that what you want to hear? And that's the message of Jesus to the church at Smyrna, to the church at Central Community, and to every individual that goes through persecution and suffering. Persevere, my dear friends. Persevere, and you will enjoy a crown of life that this blip on the screen cannot even begin to compare to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this was a hard letter to read. I don't like the fact that I know that there will be suffering and there will be persecution. But I also know that you said earlier when you walked on this earth that that was a part of life. You even told us that we would have to pick up our cross and follow you, and that when we pick up our cross, life wasn't going to be easy. And so, God, my prayer is this. Help me to persevere. Help me to be faithful to the very end. And in those moments when I feel like I cannot be faithful, I'm going to rely on your strength to be faithful for me. And God, not only to me, but to my family, to my church, to everyone that I can come in contact with. Lord, this is a battle, but this is not my home. My home is with you, and for that I cry out, hallelujah. Thank you that you are my Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.